Here's our, kind of our main idea for today. It's called spiritual hypocrisy. Um, you have that slide? There we go. All who gather today in worship have a common struggle. Do our hearts match the words we sing? Do we really submit ourselves to the word of God, or do we just go through the motions? Spiritual hypocrisy is professing one thing, but living another. So as we're sitting here, and we're opening up with these two songs, and, and Joe knows where we're going to be in the passage as he, as he plans out worship, but we don't necessarily talk about main ideas or things. We, we go our separate ways and prayerfully seek to do, you know, he plans worship, and I work through the message, and we do that. And there was, so I wrote this not knowing what, he was gonna, what songs we were going to sing, but do our hearts match the words we sing? Marcia, can you find that one slide I asked you for? We just sang this song, and it says, And at your touch my sleeping spirit was awakened, and my darkened heart the light of Christ has shone. This language is going to be incredibly similar to the language in Isaiah 29. And so we come here and we admit, okay, God, it requires your touch to wake up my sleeping spirit. And so when we get to Isaiah 29, it talks about us being asleep in our faith. We have to ask ourselves, where are we in this? Is that us? Do we need to be awakened by God? When it gets to that blindness, is that us? Do we need to ask God, God, would you give us spiritual sight to see? Would you lead us? Would you give us your wisdom? We're following the ways that make sense to us, but that's not, that's not you. And so as we were singing this, I just, I thought of this, and I thought, okay, we sing these words. We say these things, and, and God is always good to take what I'm doing and what Joe is doing and really bring them into one thing. And so may this be a challenge. Do we really mean the words we sing? Do we really mean the words we say? Do we really do the things we profess? And do we really believe the way we profess to believe? So that's our challenge for today. Isaiah chapter 29, we're going to pick up in verse 1. It says this, Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped, and year to year, let the feasts run their round. So this is... As we said last week, this is in a series of woes. The word ah right there is also going to be translated in chapter 33 as a woe. A woe is a great sorrow or distress. So it's like saying woe to you, Ariel, same idea. And he will actually, the same exact word will actually be translated as woe in just a minute. But we're going to see it twice today. We saw it last week as it relates to Israel. And this week it relates to Judah, Jerusalem. Ariel is a reference to a place in the city of David, a place that used to be a place of worship. And so God's people, Israel, separated into a northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And God has been speaking to both of them. They're both going through things very similar, maybe at a different rate, maybe some dissimilarities, but there's a lot of similarity. And so there's the same kind of struggles in this church as there are in the church down the street. Is that fair? Like the Christianity in America has some common themes to it, some strengths and some weaknesses, some areas of struggle. There's a lot of things that take place in the church in America that ought not take place, right? And that's common here as it is with the church down the street. There's no perfect churches, right? And if there was a perfect church, they sure wouldn't let me lead it or you'd be a part of it, right? Because <laughs> we'd break it. So we get the church, problems and all. And so in this, we have some common struggles. They're cultural, they're contemporary, they're relevant, they're normal. That's not excusing them, they're still wrong. But Israel and Judah are, are suffering through some of the same problems. And because of that, God is speaking to them in very similar ways. They both tried to align with each other and with Egypt in order to overcome the big bad Assyria 
that is the empire that's about to destroy them. But God continues to tell them, listen, I'm going to use Assyria to destroy you because you're being disobedient. So no matter who you align with or what you do, you can't stop what I'm doing. I'm still God, you're still you, and you can't overcome it. What you have to do is come back to God. And so that's what Isaiah is telling him. So he says, ah, Ariel, Ariel, that woe, the woe is Assyria is coming. The city where David encamped. So this used to be a city where there was tons of worship, where the city of God, the city of David, where God was honored and David lived and David worshiped God with his people. It says, in year to year, the second half of verse one, let the feast run their round. Add year to year, let the feast run their round. And so in this place, here's what's going on. The people of God, their hearts have become far from God. However, year to year, they still celebrate all the festivals. They still go to temple. They're going to church. They still celebrate the big high festivals. And yet their hearts are far from God. So, Easter Sunday, we typically almost double in size, right? Christmas Eve, lots of visitors. People throughout the year, maybe Mother's Day, they go to church, whatever it is. And so imagine the same kind of cultural context, right? Where people tend to celebrate the big feast, they tend to go to church, and then let's just be honest and push a little further, there's people that come in and out of these doors every Sunday that kind of come in to check a box, right? Like I've come, I've come through the doors and I went to church today, Maybe I dropped a little something in the offering, filled out a connection card. I sang along with the songs. But then when I leave here, I just kind of go spend the rest of the six and a half days this week living the way I want to live. Right? That's common. Right? And, and, I, and, and it's just, it, it is something that takes place. People come in and they think that, okay, because I came in and I showed up, which is better than a lot of America, right? But because I came in and showed up, that's the sum total of my engagement with God. I don't pray in the mornings, I don't read my Bible during the week, I don't gather in a community group, or even more, more than all of those, because those are just things we can do, but even more, my heart isn't just given over to God. My life isn't guided by what, what Jesus calls me to, rather it's guided by me. And so he's calling them out, he's saying, listen, you're going through all the motions, but your heart is far from me. So there's, we'll just call that a cold-hearted worship. Like, though the people have all their feasts and festivals of worship, their hearts are far from God. Though they go to church, they do not worship God in their hearts, but rather simply go through the motions. Now, let me just say this. You, maybe this is you right now, and, and maybe it's not, but uh, let me say that it is a propensity for all of us. And that doesn't stop when you become a vocational pastor or leader. There's a tendency towards just kind of going through the motions. You can, you can just go through the motions of, of studying the Bible and putting together a message. You can go through the motions of a staff meeting where you pray and you plan and you do these things, and completely in your heart, you're just far from God. So we all have this common struggle. If you're new here, here's something you'll figure out about us. We actually don't think we have it together, right? Like, we're pretty aware that we're flawed, Maybe you walk into some churches and there's this feeling like everybody's got it together and you need to change. And the, the you need to change part's probably true, but we don't have it together. Like we need to change too. And so one of the things we do is we gather together and we come under the word of God. We, we admit that it's God's word that has authority, not just what I say, but whatever God says. And that our lives are constantly being tuned to Jesus. 
that our lives are constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. And, and we can fight that and resist that at times. We can kind of shut down and just go through the motions. And that's where God is speaking to his people today. For people that are just kind of going through the motions, but their hearts are far from God. Verse 2, yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. So to play on words, Ariel is also a name, but Ariel kind of means altar. So imagine an altar where you sacrifice things. Imagine using that, the term Ariel. So it's like he's saying, listen, like, you call this place an altar because it's a place where we worship God, but then there's this altar also where death and sacrifice takes place. And so he's speaking to the people, Jerusalem in Judah, to the nation of Judah through its city, kind of like we say, we might represent what America thinks by saying, well, D.C. says this, or Washington says this, or whatever, California, Sacramento said this. It's kind of saying that idea, there's a nickname here, and the nickname is a play on words. Ariel is not just a nickname for the city, but it's also a place where sacrifice is made. And this is important because he's saying, listen, there's going to be moaning and lamentation in Ariel because I'm going to make you an altar, but the altar is for them. They are going to sacrifice. They are going to be the sacrifice. They are going to be the ones that suffer here in this place because they've been disobedient to God for generation upon generation upon generation. And God has been calling them back but they have been rejecting God and they're going through the motions and they're, they're thinking somehow just because we show up on Sunday, we're good. And so in this, he says, listen, the moaning and the lamentation, the slaughter is going to be you because God is saying, listen, I will do whatever it takes to get you back. Verse three says, and I will encamp against you all around and will besiege you with towers and I will raise siege works against you. And you will be brought low. From the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. So just like last week, as God says to Assyria, uh, to uh, Israel, that Assyria is coming, now he speaks to Judah in the same way because of the same things. He says, listen, Assyria is coming. And instead of defending you like I have throughout history, I've warned you, I've called you back. I've told you, stop going through the motions. Give your heart to me. It's not about what you do. It's about how you love me, what you, what you believe, how you live. In fact, where your heart is will dictate what your life does. So he's trying to recapture their heart, and they keep rejecting him. They keep ignoring the prophets and those who come and, and tell them, like Isaiah. And God says, so listen, I'm just going to take my hand away, and Assyria is going to come in and wipe you out, and there's going to be nothing left. And your voices will cry out to me. Verse 5, but the multitude of the foreign foes shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the ruthless shall be like a passing chaff. And in an instant, suddenly you will be visited by the Lord of hosts with thunder and with an earthquake and great noise, with a whirlwind and tempest, and the flame of a devouring fire. So there's an interesting change that takes place here. As God has been proclaiming devastation and, and judgment over the nations, he kind of pivots here and says, listen, but it will only be momentary. As he's always said, with judgment also comes redemption. And as he is talking about, has been proclaiming judgment over an area, over a, 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 over a nation, or over a people group has been doing that, he's also, the, the message has always been there's redemption in it. 
See, God is not just punishing or judging just to, just to judge or punish. He's doing this to cause the people to return to him. So he's doing something. He's causing them. He's getting that pain level to rise for them so that they're forced to turn back to him. And in this, he says, listen, that time will be short. It's going to happen, but it'll be short. And the, and the point is that you'll return to me. Verse 7, it says, And the multitude of all the nations that fight against Ariel, all that fight against her in her stronghold and distress her, shall be like a dream, a vision in the night, as when a hungry man dreams, and behold, he is eating and awakes, and his hunger is not satisfied. Or when a thirsty man dreams, and behold, he is drinking, and he awakes faint, with his thirst not quenched. So shall be the multitude of the nations that fight against Mount Zion." He says, you know, like when you fall asleep and you're hungry and you have dreams about a great meal and you feel all satisfied and everything tastes great in your, in your dream and then you wake up and you're still hungry. He says, that's what Assyria is going to feel like. They're going to come in and they're going to feel like they've destroyed you. They're going to feel like they've conquered Jerusalem, Judah, and Israel. They're going to feel like they've won, but it's going to happen so fast, and they're going to be displaced so quickly. It's going to be like a dream, and when they wake up, they're still hungry. <coughs> Verse 9, astonish yourselves and be astonished. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with st strong drink. Isaiah's been very image-driven. He's used images to to portray to them what their lives are, lives are like. He's shown them, like last week, he talked about this crown of drunkenness. In other words, how proud they were of their sins, how they wore them like crowns. Well, now he's saying, listen, be blind and stagger about, not with drunkenness, but you're staggering about. And he's talking about them in the context that their, their spiritual blindness is causing them, like as if you lost your sight and you were trying to navigate your home or this church or, you know, navigate something out in the outside or whatever, that you imagine, if you lose all your sight, how you might stagger around and fall and be blinded. He says, that's what you are spiritually to me. You right now are just spiritually blind. He says, astonish yourselves and be astonished. You should be confused. You should be amazed. Blind yourselves and be blind. Be drunk, but not with wine. Stagger, but not with strong drink. Understand your spiritual condition before God. He says, I want you to see, and I want you to give you a human example of what you look like spiritually. So blind and asleep. Isaiah uses this imagery to show the spiritual condition of the people. Uh, the spiritual condition of the people. Ignore that word. All right. There are, I just threw that word in there for I don't know why. All right, their eyes are blind to their spiritual condition and they are spiritually asleep. He is calling them to wake up and allow themselves to be corrected by God. He said, listen, you're like you're a blind person walking around stumbling. It's like you're spiritually asleep and you, you just need to wake up, right? You need to come back to life in your faith. You need to take the blinders of your sin off and the things that you've been listening to, the, 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 the words of human beings around you that are leading you away from God. You need to rid yourself of all this and you need to return to me. Verse 10, he says, For the Lord has poured out upon you a spirit of deep sleep and has closed your eyes, the prophets, and covered your heads, the seers. Even the leaders here are leading them astray. I was having lunch with a friend. In fact, you guys know he used to be on staff here. He left to plant a church about a year and a half ago, Pastor Rick. 
Uh, he and I had been together for about seven years as he went to plant, and uh, he and I just got a chance to have lunch last week, and he was telling me, so if you know what happened, they left to plant in Long Beach, and in the midst of that, they had an opportunity to help a church that was struggling. And so John and Rick and their team, they went back and they went to help this church. And a few months ago, this church, a couple months ago, this church just ended their contract with them and said, no, we're good, thanks. Okay, and so there was this big kind of transition. And there's, obviously there's a lot to the story and there's two sides of that and whatever. But I, so now they're back to planting. And so that's been kind of the year and a half. They spent some time here and they went back to help a church. And for those of you that know, we, we believe in planting churches and multiplying and not just gathering people, but also sending them out. And we, we, we desire to send out our best. Again, Pastor Rick and, and Pastor John, those are great examples of sending out our best. But planting churches isn't enough if churches can't sustain. And so we also have a heart to help struggling churches. And so really, they started to plant and then they worked their way over there. And now they're black, back to planting again. But how, so I get to have lunch with Rick. And so we're hanging out over lunch. And um, one of the things I got to contribute in Rick's life is just helping him preach. He wasn't, he hadn't done much teaching before, and so kind of worked through how to preach, and, and he developed his own style, but that's one of the things he attributes to time with me. And he says, so when he was teaching at this church, and he would be going through a passage of scripture, he says one of the things that they would come to him and say is like, hey, every time you teach, like, we feel convicted of sin. <laughs> he said, we don't really know what to do with that. Can you not do that? <laughs> not kidding. And so over, you know, over 15, 20 years of ministry, I've heard that. And um, I've had people go like, hey, do we have to teach the Bible every week? I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's an issue. You should go now, you know, because you're not going to like me for sure, right? You probably don't like me anyhow, but this is a good reason for sure, right? But just consider that. Like we feel convicted of sin. We don't like that. Can you not do that? This is the exact opposite. The teachers here, the prophets and the seers here, the people that are speaking to them are telling them everything they want to hear. They're giving them those feel-good messages, this positive thinking message. They're giving them all this stuff, and there's no sin. There's no conviction of anything because, you know, we don't want to do that and make them feel bad. We don't want them to feel bad. And so we'll just tell them what they want to hear, and we'll send them on their way, and God's like, no wonder you can't get it right. No wonder you're walking around blind, Right? No wonder it's like you're spiritually asleep. No wonder you're staggering around and you haven't been drinking. Because you're getting taught junk. Right? And, and you don't have to be a part of this church. And maybe you're in town today and you go to another church or whatever. You're visiting. Great. Be in a Bible teaching church. I don't care what church. Just be in a Bible teaching church. And if you don't go to a church where you feel convicted sometimes, you should go to a different church. Either you're not listening or they're not saying it. Right? I wrote it down this way, compromise preaching. If the messages you hear just make you feel good and never convict you of sin or challenge you to change, either the message is not from the Bible or you're not listening. Right? Sometimes there's some hard things we have to work through. Right? Like the book of Isaiah as an example. Right? I was visiting a guy in the hospital yesterday. I was talking to his wife and she was just asking what I was teaching on. I said, well, we're in Isaiah. We're in the middle of it where everything is a woe to you somebody. And I'm like... It's really brutal to start off with a word, every message that says, great sorrow and distress to you, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and then we're going to say, hey, so we're behind in giving, but um, hey, great sorrow, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's not a church growth strategy for sure, but, but it's the word of God, right? And if you're going to go through it, this is what you're going to hear. 
And so the line of redemption that's in here is important, but the understanding that we, re- that we need redemption is more important. We must know that we're not all together. We must know that we need help or we'll never look for Jesus, right? Verse 11, in the vision of all this has become to you like words of a book that's sealed. And when men give it to you, give it to one who can read saying, read this, he says, I cannot for it's sealed. And when they give the book to one who cannot read saying, read this, he says, I cannot read. So due to no biblical correction, they're lost. Like they can't even understand what it is that God is calling them to. They've wandered so far away, it's like handing them a book and they can't read. Or like handing them a book that's sealed and they just don't get it. Like, here's how you do it. And they're like, we just can't read. That's how blind they are. That's how hard-hearted they are. That's how callous their heart has become to God. Verse 13, it says, And the Lord said, Because this people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. So here's what he's saying. Listen, you're coming in and you're saying the right words. You're singing the right songs. You're saying words that sound great, and they are consistent with the message of the gospel, but your hearts are in a different place. Your hearts are not what the words are saying. And, and, and the things that you follow are just the things that people say, not what God says. Jesus will go on to quote this verse. You can put it up. To quote this verse at least twice, summarize it, so do some of the other uh, authors of the Bible. But Jesus says this twice verbatim. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. He says that in Matthew and Mark, both identical. He summarizes it in other places as he speaks to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Paul goes on and uses it. Others use it. It's used in the Old Testament and the New. This is a common theme. So if you back up 2,800 years to Isaiah, he's saying it. You fast forward 800 years, Jesus is saying it. You skip another generation forward, some of the the apostles are saying it. You get here today, we need to hear it. Like, we struggle here. This is a common issue. So spiritual hypocrisy is kind of the, the... Title for today, people going through the motions of a church and faith is as old as humanity and as common today as ever. We are constantly tempted to think that attending church, taking communion, giving financially, and serving with our time is the same thing as loving God deeply. If we're showing up and we're just going through the motions, the answer is don't go through the motions. The answer is fix your heart. Still show up. And sometimes there's, there's seasons in our life where kind of we're, we're pushing ourselves to go through the motions because we're struggling. That's different. But if your complacency is causing you to show up and you go up and you just sing the first couple songs or you show up a little late to shorten the length of service and you get here and then you're like, okay, I'm getting in. I hear the message and then, you know, I'm going to take communion and then I'm, I'm out, right? Maybe your heart's not in it, right? Maybe this is a time to pause and say, okay, why am I here? What I don't, is it to be religious, or am I here to be changed by Jesus? Am I here to worship Jesus who deserves our worship, right? Am I here to hear something that the Bible says that may convict me, may challenge me? It may encourage me. It may equip me. It might do all these things. But am I open to what God is doing today? Am I open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life? 
Am I, taking, am I taking communion because I believe that that strengthens me spiritually? Am I giving because I want to see the message of the gospel go forward? Am I checking in so the church knows I'm here? Am I putting a prayer request because I believe God actually answers prayer? Or am I just showing up and singing along kind of like a football game? I show up, I stand up at the right times, I sit down at the right times, but my heart is far. Verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will do wonderful things with this people, and the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. First, Isaiah says that God will again do wonderful things. So, again, and we've said this throughout Isaiah, no message in a Christian church should ever end in just guilt and shame, right, or conviction. And it should never end in shame or condemnation, but it should never just end in guilt and conviction, there should always be a message of hope through Christ, right? That this, no matter how it challenges us, no matter how it convicts us, no matter how it shows us where we're wrong, the message is always about how it can be right in Christ. Here's what he says. God will again do wonderful things with this people. And he says, and then their wise men shall perish and the discernment of their discerning men shall be hidden. We'll take away that human message that's contrary to God, and we will give them the truth. But God will again do great things with these people. So in the midst of this, listen, there's a nation going to come in and wipe you out. There's a message that says, listen, but there's hope. God again desires to do a great thing with this people. Verse 15, he says, ah, that's that word woe again. Ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark and who say, who sees us and who knows us? This is the third set of woes that God, that God through Isaiah gives to the people. And this is about them because they're counseling together with others to join with Egypt to hopefully overcome Assyria. And so really, what they're taking is God's message that Assyria is going to wipe them out. And instead of listening to the whole message and saying, God's, God's saying, but you can return to me and I'll fix the whole thing, instead of that... In arrogance, they're kind of buddying up together, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, and they're aligning with Egypt, which is an empire that's been fading for generation after generation. And they're thinking, okay, well, if we team up, we get enough strength in our own human strength, we can overcome Assyria. And he says, listen, I want to do great things with you again. But you're, you're, you're counseling with men. You're not listening to me. You're thinking that if you, if you get enough armies and people together, you can overcome Assyria. But understand, Assyria is not your opponent. It's me. And you can't overcome me. I will use Assyria, God says. But you can't beat them because it's me. It's me you're against. Verse 16, he says this, You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? And the thing made say to its maker, He did not make me, or the thing formed of him who formed it? Say, he has no understanding. We constantly try to make God in our image. Right? We try to mold God and shape him into the God that we like. Oh, my God is a God of love. He's just a God of love. Right? Oh, no, there's no sin. There's no judgment. There's no hell. There's no nothing. No, no, no. My God is loving. And yes, your God is loving, but there's more. But we try and mold him. My God's okay with this. God is God, not just your God. And, and, and God is who God is, and he is supposed to shape us. We're not supposed to mold him into the palatable version of him that we like and we can, we can get along with and doesn't cause us any discomfort. 
Rather, he's God who made us. He is the potter and we are the clay. He says, you've got this upside down. So making God in our own image, we're constantly wanting to make God into what we want rather than allowing God to form us into what he desires. True faith and repentance is submitting ourselves fully to God and allowing him to shape every part of our lives. He gets to choose what gets shaped. He gets to choose what it gets shaped into. Right? We get to participate. And, and let me just kind of remove myself from that. And it's always best his way anyhow. Like we're like, oh, it's going to be really hard. I don't know that I want to do this. And then we get there and we're like, this is better than we ever could have imagined. Because God did it. And because we're right with God and we're where God wants us. And all of a sudden it fits. And everything makes sense. Verse 17, it says, is, is it not yet a very little while until Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? The fruitful field shall be regarded as a forest. So he's, he's pivoting now. Isaiah's pivoting. Now listen, when you get this idea that you're not shaping God and you, get, and you, you understand and begin to, to submit to the fact that he is shaping you, Isaiah is saying, listen, he wants to do great things again. And here's what he's going to do. He's going to take, take a forest something that at this time is going to be destroyed by Assyria, but he's going to bring great fruit from that forest again. Yes, this will be leveled by judgment, but God is going to do this again. There's this redemption and hope theme now that Isaiah starts pressing into. So again, this message should come with conviction. This message should come with, with a level of, I'm in sin when I do this, or I am doing this and it's wrong. I'm, I'm trying to make God the way I want to make God, or I'm, I'm trying to ignore God, or I'm going through the motions, or I, I listen to the counsel of men and not the counsel of God, or whatever it is that resonates with you. It should be that, but then it should move right here into a place of hope. That as Isaiah turns the corner into what God desires to do, understand that can be done in us today. That that transformation, that that hope, that that peace, that that joy, all that is what Isaiah starts talking about. Meaning for us today, it could be us. And, and had Jerusalem and Judah turned around, it could have been them. Otherwise, But because they wouldn't, it's going to take time for them. So verse 18, he says this, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. And out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. So again, he's talking about this spiritual lifting of them not hearing God and them not seeing God and them not understanding God. He says, listen, as you return to me, as you, as you course correct, as you lean in, I'm going to start doing these things for you. I'm going to remove the blinders from your eyes so that you can see what I'm doing. I'm going to uncover your ears so you can hear my voice. I'm going to soften your heart so that you can begin to follow me and be obedient and walk and, and worship me. Verse 19, he says this, The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. And the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah never fails to get around to Jesus. Isaiah never fails to 800 years or 750 years before Jesus entered into human history. Isaiah never fails to miss that Jesus is the solution. Now, he would have said the Messiah. wouldn't have given him a name. But he knew that God was providing a solution in a Christ, in a Messiah, in the, in the chosen one, the Holy One of Israel is what he says here. So understand the gospel is very simple, that, that God created you and loves you, designed you, and knows how you, you are to, to, to be, that you are created to be a worshiper of God. 
But all of us have sinned and fall short of that. All of us have added to the sin of history. Human history has been riddled with sin. And we come on and we're, we're, we're both guilty by inheritance. And then we join in and add sin upon sin upon sin. We, we break the very earth that we're designed to be in. And we, we break the very world that we look around and go, man, this place is broken. But we add to it. And we'll never be able to course correct ourselves. We'll never be able to turn back that clock of sin. We'll never be able to pay the penalty for our own sin and still be reconciled to God. And so God in his love and generosity and abundance, God becomes flesh. So Jesus enters into human history, God in human flesh. And he lives the life you and I are called to live. And he dies the death you and I deserve. And he suffers in our place so that we can have what he has. And for, to do that, he takes what we have. So what he does, he takes on our guilt and shame and he leaves them nailed to a cross. And then his perfect life, his obedience, his relationship with God, he exchanges for our guilt. And he gives us that relationship that anyone who will come and ask Jesus to be their savior, anyone who asks for forgiveness will be forgiven. Just as the people hearing that in the first century for the first time as Peter is preaching in Jerusalem say, well, what do we do to be saved? And Peter says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, from the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. You will be empowered to follow God. Like, all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is surrender. All you got to do is, is, is open up your life to Jesus and allow him to do the work. It's not, hey, you got to go fix this. You got to change this. Like, you got to turn this life around. It's just come to me and I'll turn your life around. Listen to what he says here. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord. The poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah knows that the Holy One of Israel, God coming in the flesh, the answer to human sin and depravity is coming. And that all mankind will be able to enjoy God through him. And if that's you today, if, that, if that's new news to you today, Jesus is for you, right? That forgiveness is for you. But, and not just forgiveness, but life transformation is for you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, that redemption is found in Christ. This is the message from cover to cover that the Bible is telling us, that we can find hope in Jesus. Isaiah never fails to miss that message. Never fails to miss it, yes. Verse 20, for the ruthless shall, become, shall come to nothing and the scoffers cease. And all who watch to do evil shall be cut off. Who by a word make a man out to be an offender and lay a snare for him who reproves in the gate. And with an empty plea turn aside him who is right. So, God, so Isaiah is showing how God is making everything right. He's taking wicked people out of the equation and he is bringing people, he's redeeming people, healing and fixing people. Verse 22, Therefore, thus says the Lord, who redeemed Abraham. In other words, God has a history of redeeming human beings. Concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall be no more ashamed. No more shall his face grow pale. For when he sees his children, the work of my hands in the midst, they will sanctify my name. They will raise up my name. There's worship. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob. Again, pointing forward to Christ. And will stand in awe of the God of Israel. And those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. And those who murmur will accept instruction. Those who go astray in spirit will be brought back. And those who don't understand will get understanding. So Isaiah is proclaiming this judgment. A nation's going to come in and wipe out the people of God because they've been a disobedient people. Because they're coming in, they're checking the box like, hey, I showed up today. Good job, Jeff. Right? Hey, I went through the motions. 
Hey, I'm a good Christian. I go to church and I give and I serve. I do this. Like, and when you list the things you do, but you're, maybe your heart's far from. That's, and that's what Isaiah is saying. Listen, your heart's not in the same place as your lips are. And you're blinded by this and you can't hear. But Isaiah says, but there's an answer in Jesus. And that God's desire is not to just wipe out a people, but to redeem a people. The goal of God, like a parent correcting a child, punishment is never the end in itself. Transformation of the child is the, is the purpose, right? We correct our children so that they become better human beings. God is correcting us so we become better worshipers, better human beings. And God points, and Isaiah points forward to Jesus and then shows the outcome of God putting all the pieces back together. So let me give you three things we'll close with. Spiritual integrity replaces hypocrisy. The remedy God gives to the spiritual hypocrisy of the people is that they turn from their man-centered approach to God and allow him to transform them in Christ. Today we're not called to stop what we are doing, but rather to do it from our hearts. We stop changing God into who we want him to be, and then we start becoming who God has called us to be. And we do that really not by hard work, but by surrendering to Jesus. We do that by letting him do the work, not by white-knuckling it through life, trying to get to a place we can't even arrive at. And we do that by turning our hearts toward Jesus. Jesus says this, in Matthew 3, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Your life should be changed. If you're here and you've been walking with Jesus for the last 80 years, and you're going to live another, another year, another 10 years, another 20 years, your life should change over and over again as Jesus keeps conforming you to him. If you're brand new to Jesus, lots of stuff is going to change. But let me just give you an encouragement. It's not on you. Let him do the change. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance is an ongoing thing that never stops until we reach Jesus. Never stops until we see him face to face forever. Last slide. Paul says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives should be our sacrifice to God. Everything we do should be a gift to God, that our lives should become the very lives of worship that he created us to be. And we find that in Christ. We find redemption and healing and the empowerment to be who he's created us to be. We find that in Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we meet this morning again, I just, I just admit we don't all have it together. Not that you don't know that, God. You know that better than all of us. But we need to admit it to you regularly. We need to continually remember that we don't have it all together. And that doesn't matter how long we've been walking with you or, or how good we think we do it. But that we always need to be changed. That we always need the transformation that comes to submitting to you. For all of us here, Lord, I know that's going to that's gonna land in different places. And so really my one prayer is no matter where we are, no matter who it is, no matter if it's non-believer or believer for many years, God, would you, would you show us where it is we need to turn to you? If it's turning to you for a first time, I pray that that would take place today. If it's remembering that after so many years of following, we still need to turn to you and return to you and return to you, and that our lives are constantly need to be transformed by you, if that's us, let, let us be convicted of that. If we're going through the motions today, God, and, and it's not because we're struggling, it's just because we've kind of checked out 
in our hearts. God, I pray that you would draw us near. God, as we move into communion, I pray that you would strengthen us through your spirit. That Jesus, through your broken body and your shed blood, we would be made new. Lead us to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.